How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Activity down in the Sox pen. There's the Southpaw, Scott Radinsky. AC Rad's numbers, no record, no earned run average. He's appearing in his fifth game. He has one save, working two and two-thirds innings, just one walk and two strikeouts. That's it. Here's Junior. Wow. He just blew him away right there. Go ahead, Rad. Just rear back and fire. One of the better players in all of baseball. Inside heater, as you can see, upstairs. And Ken Griffey Jr. cannot catch up with it. So one batter, one strikeout for Rad. Boy, he's been terrific. I'd say when he's on the plate, forget it. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel. Sunday mornings on The Score. Welcome back in on 670 to score. It is indeed hit and run. The score's venerable baseball show on Sunday mornings is hosted by me solo for the last couple of years. But uh, lots of different guest hosts, um, guest co-hosts have come on. And if Scott Radinsky were ever in town, I'd want him to come in and talk for a while. If he could, we will accept the phone call happily, willingly right now and look for, looking forward to, I've been looking forward to talking to you for a long time Scott Radinsky so thanks so much for coming in on the Alpamani Ford hotline Alpamani Ford in Melrose Park good morning to you happy mother's day to your wife and mother of your children and anybody else who deserves it around your world how's it going Scott hey great thanks for having me good morning to all you guys and uh, hey that was awesome i haven't heard hawk and limpy talk together in a long time that was really cool <laughs> yeah it's right. well you know your, your teams were so much damn fun. I, I hope they were fun from the inside. I have to assume that they were. But, like, some incredibly talented, highly drafted people, along with some gamers who all made that uh, made those teams really, really fun. You have... Um, you have good memories of sharing a, sharing a locker room with, with Ventura and Frank and Thigpen and McDowell and all those guys? Um, probably some of the best times of my life, um, you know, being that young and, and, and in the city of Chicago, which for me was my first experience. My locker was next to Pudge, so I was next to a Hall of Famer for a few years there, and I had Charlie Huff on one side, and you know, like you said, the, the, the success they had in the organization with their picks with Jack and Frank and Alex and Robin, you know, in a four-consecutive-year mm-hmm. run there where everybody got to the big leagues, and it was a pretty good nucleus of a team and you threw in a few uh few extras of us you know the other the rest of us and um <laughs> it was a good group of guys man it was it was a special team and and it was a lot of fun i'm 19 blocks from the ballpark scott i love living near the park there are times 
where I'll hear the fireworks. If I'm not watching the game, I'll hear the fireworks. I know somebody homered and I can flip over to the game in time to catch the home run in, in a little bit of delay, you know? Um, I, I've ridden a divvy bike there many times. You used to ride your bike to the ballpark when you were a player sometimes, right? From where? Where were you riding from? Uh, I was living, uh, for the most part, I was living downtown, Lincoln Park area, somewhere in the city. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would, I would ride down State Street. I'd end up coming down through Chinatown. I think the neighborhood's a little nicer now. So I, you know, yes. from my recent visits there, it seems like it's uh, cleaned up a little bit. But it was, it was a little sketchy riding down there at, when I first started doing it. Um, I know there was a lot of projects, and a lot of people looked at me kind of funny, like, what are you doing? And I just pedaled down the street as fast as I could, put my head down and and uh, get to the ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this it's town is a lot time. more bike friendly. <laughs> this town's a lot more bike friendly now. They've got a lot of like, you know, well carved out bike routes and stuff. But at the time, they were yeah, like, you were an interloper on a, on, on a lot of those streets. Did you ever go up and down the lakefront? Did you ever think about doing it that way? That, that was my main. Uh, well, not not going south, but but going going north. I mean, I would I spent probably fifty percent of my total time in Chicago, just pedaling up the up the up the lakefront all the way up to probably Addison, and maybe a little further north sometimes, and then and then uh, cut over and ride down Clark Street or Wells or something, and just come back to my you know my apartment where I was staying, but. You know, when I first when I first uh, got to Chicago, I didn't drive for the first couple of years, so I just rode a bike. And at the time, the city was full of these bike messengers just pedaling around the streets everywhere. So I'd start following these guys all around through little alleys, and and I kind of learned, you know, I learned my way of the land by by these bike messengers in downtown, which was pretty cool. So I had every shortcut and you know, non uh, less trafficked streets. It was it was a uh, pretty good experience you know i i had some friends who were bike messengers at the time and they were insane they were crazy because absolutely crazy right because because you had to be so completely bold and fearless to be out there riding like oh i got hit by another car today that's okay i'm all right um I, I, I wonder, I mean, you as a, as a singer, as a lead singer, as a punk guy, as a, somebody who, who kind of understands the punk aesthetic, the punk attitude, could you, could you kind of um, just describe that aesthetic and attitude for people a little bit? Like what that is that you grew up kind of embracing and, and feeling and, and how, you know, some of those guys had it. I, I remember dealing with some of those guys and they had some of that. Yeah, very, very similar. Um, you know, just, just kind of, uh, I guess, uh, not afraid to live life and, and, and doing your thing as, as you want to do it without really conforming to, I, I, I never really, uh, worried about fitting in, you know, in a certain dress code or a, a certain way into society. Not that I was a, a rebel or, or consciously went out of my way to be different. It's just, I felt comfortable in who I was in my own skin and how I wanted to be. And if it didn't, you know, uh, if it didn't kind of fit with society at the time, then I was kind of looked at as an outcast. Um, yeah, I think over time, over the years, I think the world kind of caught up to that fashion and that culture and, and obviously the music and it became popular. And, and um, you know, it was, it was kind of like something that drove me personally uh, just, just to kind of be myself, I guess. 
I don't, I don't want to say that anarchy type uh, mindset, but it, you know, it was just kind of just be yourself and be free and, and don't worry about what other people think. And, and that was kind of really, was really what I lived was not really concerned about what people viewed me. So, so how does that fit into a baseball universe as a player? It, it, it would, it, was it at odds with the priorities of being a baseball player at times? Well, you know, being part of a team is, is, uh, I, I enjoyed being part of a team. And, and when I put on my baseball uniform, I don't want to necessarily say I played the game, but I, I got along with all my teammates. Um, but I was able to be myself. And one thing I learned about baseball early on was if you do your job on the field and, and, and you do what you're supposed to do and you, and you have respect for the game, you can do whatever you want to do. No one's going to say anything to you about growing your hair out or, or growing a beard or doing whatever you want to do and, and, and just get the job done and, and get along with people. And when the game's over, everybody kind of goes their own way anyway. And, and I was myself away from the field. So it was, it, hmm. it was never an issue for me playing baseball. Yeah, you know, that, that feeling of being on a team. Um, I, I've always, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a baseball guy, um, you know, sports talk show host, whatever, but I'm also a, a singer and a band leader and been, a, been in music my whole life, too. So it's like I'm always trying to make the parallel between a band and a ball club. And maybe, it, and some people rebuff it, rebuff it. Like, it just doesn't quite fit because baseball is so individual, right? It's like there, there's there's a lot of times where you don't have to think about your teammates like you do your bandmates, right? But but is there sometimes that it does feel, that it has felt similar to you? Um, I'm wondering, you know, how that feels in terms of a band and a, and a team, teammates and bandmates. Well, I think there's a lot of, different similarities if that makes sense um <laughs> you know you you, you are kind of you are kind of taking care of your own backyard on the baseball field and doing your own thing and when everybody contributes and all 25 guys are pulling on the same side of the rope you know that's when you have those successful teams and those good years that good camaraderie the chemistry everything they talk about yeah. um you know in a in a band it's 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 very similar where you know, each guy's got a has a responsibility to to contribute towards what we're doing, as far as either recording or writing or playing live, and 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 you want to hold your you know you want to pull your weight. So, um, you know, but in a sense, it, it, the the different side of it is, you know, it, I think you choose who you want to play music with and who you want to express your art with. Um, baseball. Yeah. You don't really have that choice. You're kind of thrown together in a big pot, and you're not necessarily forced to get along or figure it out, but it just naturally kind of happens organically. Where musically, it, it's a little different brotherhood, and, and, and a lot of baseball teams grow into that over the course of a season. And like I said, those are the good ones. So there are a lot of similarities, um, yeah. and yet a lot of, a lot of differences. <laughs> No, I, I, no, I, I like, I like. Of course, yeah, you're choosing your tribe, you know. Yeah. I, but you, you need your band members to be teammates. You need the bass player to know the tunes and show up and be there for the chorus at the same time you get there. As a pitcher, who were you most bonded with? Was it a specific catcher? Was it the bullpen catcher for you, or a bullpen coach? And you became a bullpen coach later on in life too. I'm wondering what the connection was that 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 felt most like it. I think the bull, you know, being a reliever, the bullpen was always, uh, you know, kind of your tribe that you gravitated to, whether it was hanging out during batting practice or, or if you're going to go eat lunch with somebody, 
Um, yeah. You know, certainly, certainly the relievers were were kind of our own group, but I, I definitely don't think there's there's a. The, the most special relationship on the field for me is the pitcher catcher relationship and, and the bond. And when you have a really good catcher, you know, coming from a pitcher's perspective, when you have a, a really good catcher who's there for you and understands each individual and kind of what makes you tick and knows how to say things to you and, and kind of coach you along throughout the course of a year or, or in a situation on the mound, you know, at, at the moment. That that's that's pretty special when you know they're really genuinely there for you. Um, you know, I've played with some catchers that are more offensively minded, and and, and their focus was they they might have taken that bats behind the plate with them uh, if they had just failed the previous inning. And then I've had mm. some catchers that were just you knew they were back there for you. And and when you know a catcher's back there for you, it really helps. And I, and I think it just makes your job so much easier and so much trust and and less thought put into what you're doing. And you can just really go out and compete. What is uh, what's more satisfying, Scott Radinsky, finishing a a super tight three minute rager with a band and getting that moment of 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 satisfaction and the loud explosion from a crowd, or striking out a tough lefty in the eighth after like a high pressure at bat and getting that satisfied cheer from a home crowd? Which one is more satisfying? <clears throat> Well, I, I, I'm not going to choose either one. I've been asked this question a million times. Or what do you, you know, baseball and music. Let me put it to you this way: You strike a guy out to end the inning, and you come in a dugout, and there's you know 25 guys and trainers and strength coaches and everybody, the bat boys, and everybody's wanting to high five you. It's a yeah. pretty big high. Um, you know, playing a gig. Uh, we, we played a gig in in Ljubljana, Slovenia last year, a big festival in front of 10,000 wow. people. And, wow. you know, the, the thousand people up front are singing word for word. So it's, it's the same high. It's just different. It's, it's, um, they're both equally as gratifying and, and um, very special. All right. So Pulley, pulley obviously right now nobody's out there. Nobody's out there playing. Um, it's really weird. I don't know what the live music world is going to look like um, anytime soon. But but when we get back to normal, you'll still you're still out there out there playing. You've how how often have you guys uh, been active um, of late um, before all this stuff has gone down? Oh, uh, I mean we've been active for thirty plus years. I think the last Amazing. year or so that I that I haven't been involved in baseball, it's been a little more. And we were going to uh, we were headed to Europe on Tuesday to start a to start a tour of Europe and Canada for a couple of weeks. Uh, which obviously is postponed, and um, but yeah, I mean, we, you know, we we whenever we can, we try to do what we can do, and you know, the other guys do have day jobs, but but they're pretty flexible, mm. and 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 fortunately for us, you know, we're not we're not rock stars by no means, but you know, we've been playing for a while, and and we do have uh, a little niche in certain markets, and we have the ability to go and play some pretty fun shows and make it worth our while, and. And, um, you know, we, we do as much as we can, whatever, whatever we can, we do. Yeah. Uh, that, that's awesome. Um, uh, Scott Radinsky with us for another couple minutes here on hit and run on six seventy. the score. Um, what do you miss right now about baseball being gone? Uh, Scott, I know it, it's, it, it's, it's maybe it's, it's more unique for you since you were in the game for so long and haven't been, I obviously for, as you mentioned, a year, year and a half, but, um, 
What do you miss about the game being gone right now and not even on our TVs or in our box scores or in our highlight packages? I think, you know, I think in each market, you know, being out here in L.A., I know I have a lot of friends who are Dodger fans, and they just miss that day-to-day, um, you know, did we win, did we lose, you know, you know that, that over the course of the season. I, I get a kick out of listening to people, you know, as the, uh, the you know, couch manager type thing, second-guessing all the time. Um, you know, for me personally, I, I, I was helping coach in a high school team. I had some stuff lined up with USA Baseball again this year that I was mm. looking forward to. So to, to lose, you know, to lose the the day-to-day competitiveness is, is I think, what what people probably miss the most, is being able to follow your team, having something to root for, uh, follow yeah. your guys on a daily basis. And, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's what we all miss. As a coach, Scott, what have you learned about pitching that you wish you knew uh, as a pitcher? Oh, everything. I mean, <laughs> when I was playing, when I was playing, I don't. I was kind of, uh, I don't want to say clueless, but just trying to keep myself away from everything and just kind of not think too much. You know, as a coach, when you're responsible for, you know, your staff of twelve guys, you're you're in every pitch. You've got 12 different personalities. Um, I really enjoyed coaching, and, and I, learned, I learned a lot on, for, for, as an observer when not to panic, when, when, you know, when to maybe push yourself a little more. And being able to, you know, I, I do think the experience of, of, of having done it certainly has helped certain times in the course of the season, maybe June, July, when I had to put my arm around a guy and kind of pick him up or maybe in April and, you know, kind of push the guy along with my foot a little bit, uh, you know, to get him going. But knowing and having that feel of when to push the button. And I was fortunate to have some pretty good people around me as a coach or as a, as a player, you know, that were former coaches that were former players that were kind of taught mm-hmm. me and brought me along and, and, and allowed me to just go out and play and, and think freely and, I think as a coach, that that's what my biggest goal was, is trying to replicate that for a player that, that was given to me. Um, but, you know, as far as all the analytics and, and, and situational stuff, I didn't think about when I was a player. I just, I catcher put the sign down, I shook my head, and, and I threw the pitch. As a coach, there's a lot more thought that went into it. And, and I don't know if that would have made me better as a player, knowing what I know now. Hmm. Um but it, but it certainly helps me. It, it, I'm in a better position to help teach it. I know that. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it, you you might not have been the kind of player that benefited from it, right? You, I'm sure you've had players as a coach where it can be too much and they get lost up in there and then they have trouble executing, right? It's not for everybody. Absolutely. You, you know, that's that's the, the biggest challenge as a coach is the ability to, like I said, to know who you can bring in the video room, to know who you got to keep away from there. Um, to know who you can give a scouting report to, you know, vice versa. And, and that, that's the biggest challenge because you want to help everybody. But sometimes you're, you know, you're, you're, you're helping them more by just kind of letting them do their thing and leaving them alone and, and maybe waiting for the right time when, when it's really needed. It's a lot of counts. Um, yeah, yeah. Who's, who's better at maintaining uh, old friendships and relationships, Scott? Punk musicians or ball players? Who's better at staying in touch? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've made a lot of friends in baseball that I keep in touch with and, and, yeah. you know, a lot of, a lot of friends in music that I keep in touch with. 
think musically it's more when I see him crossing paths. Uh, you know, when I when I was actively in baseball or when I'm around a baseball field, and I, you know, even now when I see scouts or people that are hanging around the field, or like this USA program I was in was was amazing. Uh, you know, to be around on a daily basis, guys like Scott Brocious, Chipper Jones, Derek Jeter, Andy Pettit. I mean, working Man. side by side with them on a daily basis was really cool. So there's always, you know, there's 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 bombs in both. Um, but I I don't know if me personally I've ever been the guy to you know on a daily basis, reach out. and But I've always been friendly and, and, and keep in touch, whether it's shooting somebody a text or, or something. But I'd, I'd say equal, you know, equally the same. Yeah. Yeah, see, here I am trying to, to put people in groups, and that's just not how it works. Spiegel, shut yeah. up. That's just not how it works. No, I hear you. <laughs> um, Scott, it's a, it's been a pleasure. I, I, I Last thing, I can only imagine – what Ozzie is like um, when there's even less of a filter that he carries around in his regular life as it is. You know, all my interactions with Ozzy and some on air, some off air, it's like it, it is so much uh, fun to, to have a guy who just usually just really, really doesn't seem to care what anybody's going to think of what he has to say. You are married to his wife's sister or he's married to your wife's sister, however that is what what is Ozzy like with even less of a filter than than we know about uh i mean i think the the the, the side we see of him is just this just this character this out of life type character and and always going and and funny he he's a he's a super family guy very caring person um you know i've been very fortunate to to places and 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 see him behind the scenes as you might want to say with family and and just the way he is he he's he is what he is he is what you see he doesn't hold anything back um and he's genuinely uh a pretty damn humorous person he's he's i don't want to say he's a comedian but he's 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 definitely a punk rocker there's no doubt about it you know he's 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 full throttle, and uh, he wears it all on his sleeve. And it's he's a he's a good person. He, like I said, he's a genuine genuine person. But he's you know behind the scenes, there's a, there's a good man side to him too that I, you know maybe a lot of people don't see the family side and and how caring he is and how he is with his with his own children and you know now his grandchildren and his wife and and the other family members and what he does for people. Uh, he's so generous and he does so much for so many people. Um, that maybe aren't as privileged as him, and he's and he's helped so many people that that it's probably you know never gone publicized, but uh, and publicly that that you know he doesn't he doesn't brag about stuff like that, but but he's mm. a uh, he's a good man. I'll say that he's a good wow. funny man. That's that's beautiful. That's family right there. Talking about yeah. talking about family. Um, Scott, this has been fun. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Stay healthy and uh, enjoy. Enjoy playing and uh, enjoy uh, coaching. When uh, and I hope that our that these careers, these careers of nonsense um, that we've that we've <laughs> that we have here, I hope nonsense comes back to the to the world here. We need we need it to come back. I think a lot of people. Yeah, can. me too, man. Hope everybody stays safe and uh, you know baseball can't come back soon enough. Yep. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate it very much. That's Scott Radinsky, uh, the former White Sox pitcher, Dodgers pitcher. And um, well-established punk rock lead singer and Ozzy Gian family member. That was fun. 
It's 670 the score. It's hit and run. We'll talk to Chris Kampka before we get out of here. Um, a really cool what if regarding the Cubs was brought up with some more details that perhaps you did not even realize were true. We'll talk about that next before Chris Kampka, the Sultan of Stat, to round us out right here on 670 The Score. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours. Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley subject to credit approval no minimum purchase required minimum monthly payment down payment tax and delivery may be required see store for details so yeah of course there's regret I think that you know we obviously have a lot more knowledge about about transactions that you know could have happened or and um, then we ever we ever want everyone to know and, and that was one that was really public and there's ones that you beat yourself yourself up over because you think, you know, what could we have seen differently? And, uh, you know, could we have uh, predicted this? And obviously we didn't. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, his, his late career resurgence has been amazing. That is Jed Hoyer on the score last September with uh, Mac and Parkins talking about Justin Verlander. Because Justin Verlander, uh, at that point, in July of uh, 2017, um, Justin Verlander was 34 years old and coming off a pretty, a pretty mediocre, in fact, flat out bad first half of the year, a 4.29 ERA through July. Strikeout rate was 22.1%, a walk rate of 10.5. He was basically John Lackey, is what he was at that point. And there were a lot of people that thought Justin Verlander, his best days had been behind him, that he was finally going to fall prey to what finds its way to just about every big league pitcher in the history of baseball in their mid-30s, and that he was going to stop being what he had been, which is what I've called him for a long time, Nolan Ryan of his generation. But sometimes there are guys whose arm is just so special and work ethic is so good that they do find it again. And right in the middle, it wasn't all just Houston. It wasn't all just Houston because it happened when he was still in Detroit. Even though he had been fading and fading and fading, that, that month of, uh, of August... In Detroit, as a Tiger, he was great. A 2.36 ERA for a month of August. He struck out 31.6% of the batters, walked just 4.4% of the batters. And all of a sudden, the Cubs and a lot of others had to look at Verlander and say, oh my God, is he the guy who he was the first half of this year? Or is the guy who he was for the bulk of his career and this particular month? And the Cubs looked at it. 
And good piece in The Athletic this week from Patrick Mooney and Sahad of Sharma writing together. I assume socially distanced. But writing together and talking about how the Cubs looked at his profile, looked at what his career had done so far up to that point and where he was, and they decided that that was not a good investment. That even though they had some money right then, right there, that they could use, they had trade chips, just a few, but they didn't have quite as much as they had a couple months earlier because they had just traded Dylan Cease and Elo Jimenez for Jose Quintana, that they did not want to go after Verlander. So, and what's interesting from this piece is that you get some of the details, how it never got quite as close as some of us have thought it got. It, it got, I mean, the, the Cubs just decided they did not want to invest. And that's really why kind of um, Hoyer's cut there does dovetail with this. Because maybe you've heard the stories about how it came down to the deadline at August 31st and and that Verlander and Kate Upton were waiting for the Cubs and hoping that the Cubs were going to be the ones that made the final push. But it was the Astros. It was Jim Crane and Jeff Lunau, as opposed to Tom Ricketts and Theo Epstein, Jed Hoyer, that made that big final push to get Verlander and bring him over. So, but the Cubs never really got quite as close as some of us have looked back on and thought. It's a huge miss, though, in terms of the evaluation. So add that to the missed evaluation. And then one thing piles on another and piles on another. Because Verlander doesn't get here, then they have to spend for Yu Darvish. And then Yu Darvish's first year is such a disaster, and they have to spend for Cole Hamels. And then because Darvish's year was such a disaster they have to pick up Hamill's option for $20 million. And all of those big, big things led to the financial troubles that strap them uh, right now and strap them over the, in the terms of, uh, of getting a, a big money free agent over the past two off seasons. So yeah, but Verlander was making a lot and still is making a lot. He just didn't know he was going to be this good. Didn't know he was going to be just this damn good. Houston has a terrific pitching infrastructure. They know what they're doing. We have not yet figured out if there is something that the Astros are doing as blatantly untoward and egregious as sign stealing to benefit the pitchers. We do not know. There have been rumors of... Uh, of, of a well-executed sticky substance, but a lot of people around the league use a well-executed sticky substance. And there have been Astros pitchers who've been very, very good there and have gone on to other places and also been very, very good in other places. Charlie Morton was, what, a top three Cy Young Award candidate for the Tampa Bay Rays this past year after uh, having left Houston. So, look, Verlander, I think... I give credit to Verlander and I give trust to Verlander in terms of what he has done in terms of his resurgence, because it started there in Detroit, started there that year in Detroit. And he has always been so smart and such a hard worker. So I don't think it's a Houston creation. They're very good at making decent pitchers excellent and making excellent pitchers great. But... Verlander was already on a Hall of Fame track and is even more so now after throwing another no-hitter down there and 
winning a World Series down there and, and all of that. But boy, it would have been fun. And it would have been just a massive change. There would be no you Darvish. There probably would have been no Cole Hamels. And who knows what else the Cubs might have been able to do with that money. Would have been a very, very different kind of universe that we're living in. It's 670 to score. It's hit and run. It's Mother's Day. We're wishing you a happy Mother's Day. And been taking your stories throughout the course of the morning. Here's one via text. My sisters and I would take my mom to Cubs Brewers up in Milwaukee, and we would tailgate. We were at the game in 2002 when Mark Bellhorn homered from both sides of the plate in the same inning. We tried to explain to her how rare that was. I think she was just more happy for us than anything. It is an awesome memory. And uh, heard from an old friend, sports writer Steve Silverman via Twitter, who talked about how his mom would send him a letter every day when he was at overnight camp, cutting out the game story and the box score in the Newark Star-Ledger so he could understand what happened in the Yankee game. Because he was at overnight camp as a kid and couldn't listen to the games. And during the course of that summer, she sent him the game story and the box score every day. That's awesome. He realized that the beat writer, Jim Ogle, got paid to watch baseball. And young Steve Silverman said, you know, that is for me. That's what I want to do. It's basically, he said, how I became a sports writer. That's beautiful. That's mom getting it done. Good work out of her. Been enjoying talking with you on Mother's Day. We'll wrap it up with our guy Chris Kampka, the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago, next on Hit and Run. Top of the hour, it is a Bears Sunday. Bears-Vikings from Week 15 of 2010. That's coming up at noon. And tonight at 7, it is Cubs and Nats from May 8th, 2016, the 13-inning affair on Mother's Day from 2016. I think you know how that one ends. It's 670 The Score. It's Hit and Run. We'll come back and talk to Chris Kampka next on The Score. That's where our game, and I say our because I love it so much. It is ours. And it might be back. It might be back soon. It's a big week for that possibility. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, let's get ourselves cam connected. Because why wouldn't you when it is as much fun as it is to talk to our guy, Chris Kampka, the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago. And you're the best, Kampka. You know why? You know why you're the best? I have no idea. Okay. Yeah, you're the best because your your joy for the game and your joy for the curiosity for the game is infectious. But also you're the best because usually you're like listening to the show and thinking about ways to tie in that curiosity and that joy into the show. And how cool is that? How, how amazing is that? Who does that in the world? Just you. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say the word infectious these days but uh okay uh but anyway uh, happy mother's day to all the mothers out there including the mother to be that's in my house right now oh Um, that's beautiful i didn't realize that that's amazing so let's keep it let's keep infection on the very idea of it far away from you and yours i agree yes all right so um, well, I wanted to say, you know, do a brief moment to talk about um, one of my mom's all-time favorite players. And I think one of the happiest moments in my baseball fandom in the last few years when I got to call my mom, it was a December uh, Sunday in December evening. I was driving home from the United Center, previously worked the Blackhawks game that night. 
And that was the news where Harold Baines got elected to the Hall of Fame. And calling her to tell her that her favorite player has been elected to the Hall of Fame was one of the biggest thrills of my life. So That's um, awesome. That, That's awesome. And nobody, yeah. nobody else was on the call to talk about whether Baines actually deserved it or not and discuss his candidacy. You didn't have to deal with that at all. It was just you and your mom no, on the call. No, and my joy in that moment is the reason why when anyone starts to make those counterarguments, I get mad. Yeah. Makes me mad because Olsen, <laughs> he's in. So it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. But um, one of his biggest moments um, was 36 years ago yesterday when he hit a walk-off homer in the 25th inning. And on the wow. 753rd pitch of the game, the epic 25-inning uh, two-day affair between the White Sox and Brewers. And one of the most amazing games in baseball history. It was suspended after the 17th inning. Oddly enough, Baines made the last out of the 17th inning. So he made the last out of the first day of the game and made the game-winning hit on the last pitch of the game in its completion the next day. Wow. Uh, There are an infinite number of fun things about that. Uh, 44 players played in that game. Uh, seven Hall of Famers, 24 players for the White Sox, everyone on the roster except Lamar Hoyt. Uh, Tom <laughs> Pachorek went five for nine and didn't collect his first hit until the sixth inning. And there are so many fun facts there. Oh, man. I thought it was, and that was your mom's guy. That was your mom's guy, and now, and yeah. now he's in the hall. Yeah, I, and I, if it wasn't, way, for her, buy, wasn't for her buying me all those baseball cards, I wouldn't be here right now on the phone because yeah. that's what got me hooked. There it is. Credit the moms. Credit the moms when they deserve it. Absolutely. The um, I love what you tweeted earlier about Gordon Beckham. I'd forgotten that, but I, I remember it now because you tweeted it. But in 2015, how Gordon Beckham had a walk-off single on Mother's Day and a walk-off homer on Father's Day. That's yeah. a pretty strong, pretty strong little spring for that guy. I get I get to use it twice each year because you know I'll I'll retweet it again on Father's Day. So any any tweets that I can get. Two day, two uh, uses of each year is good with me. <laughs> uh. Outstanding, outstanding. Um, and then, and then we were talking plenty about the draft today. We had Jim Callis on earlier, and you know, it's uh, it, it's crazy. This year's draft going to be just five rounds, and history is littered, obviously, with uh, excellent players and role players and Hall of Famers who came after the fifth round. Yeah, consider this stretch from 1983 to 1991. So in 1983, you had Cy Young Award winner John Denny, 29th rounder in 1970. Then the next year, you had MVP Ryan Sandberg, 20th round in 1978. Hmm. Following year, MVP Don Mattingly, 19th round, 1979. And Cy Young Award winner Brett Saberhagen, 19th round, 1982. The following year, had no MVP or Cy Young Award winners taken that late, but... Home run champ Jesse Barfield, ninth round, 1977. We move on to 1987, MVP Andre Dawson, 11th round, 1975. 1988, MVP Jose Canseco, 15th round, 1982. 1989, Cy Young Award winner Brett Saberhagen again, 19th round, 1982. 1990, Doug Drabeck, Cy Young Award winner, 11th round, 1983. In 1991, MVP Terry Pendleton, seventh round, 1982. Wow. So that's, uh, yeah. that's that's an amazing run. That's an amazing run. 
And, and I'll give you another list here. So here's the um, most career home runs by players selected sixth, or sixth round or later. You, have, you start out with two guys with 600 or more. Albert Pujols, 1999, 13th round. Jim Tomey, 612 homers, 1989, 13th round. You go Fred McGriff, 1981, 9th round, 493. Jose Canseco, 462, I mentioned him earlier. Andre Dawson, mentioned him earlier. And then sixth Mm. is Mike Piazza, 1988, 62nd round. Yeah. Piazza, famously the favored draft pick for his godfather, Tommy Lasorda, um, who as as a family friend, um, and and then Piazza develops into what he did, um, perhaps a little help along the way, but that's another debate for another show. Yeah, it's amazing. It's it's it is a real it's a it's a crime that it's happening for this year, and I I, I hate how opportunistic it is, and we'll see if the owners carry it over. I'm thinking 20 rounds for next year, and then if we move forward with a 20 round draft, that's. That's, that's survivable, but um, that's a really good job to show the, the power and majesty that is often available in the later rounds of the MLB draft. Yeah, I mean, these are, these are fun players. I mean, it's, it's an extreme year, so, you know, one year of five, it's not good. Next year, next year at least 20, but still, I mean, you miss out guys like Mark Burley, 38th round, uh, John Smoltz, 22nd round. Um, Mark, you know, uh, Keith Hernandez, 42nd round. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, even if you take a look at last year, um, let's see here. Um, well, Howie Kendrick, 10th round. He wouldn't be drafted this year. All those postseason heroics. Mike Fires yep. has been a name, big name this offseason, 22nd <laughs> round. Um, you know, uh, speaking of Mother's Day perfect games, Dallas Braden, 24th round. So, mm. I mean, you can just. Any situation, you can come up with a quick name of a guy who was drafted um, that late. So let's, yeah. let's hope that changes. Um, we get back to, you know, more rounds better. Uh, yeah, I think so. And in, and in, in recent years, um, it, it has, we've, seen, we've seen lots of, uh, of people. I know Marcus Simeon was a seventh-round pick and took a long time to develop and now is a, a an incredible um, hitter and and shortstop, now survivable on defense and still great on offense for the Oakland A's. So yeah, there's the a year, lot out there. Yeah, and the year before, Jacob Degrom, ninth round. So, mm-hmm. I mean, how many Cy Young award winners is he going to win? Yeah, he's already DeGrom got two in a row. Yep. So Paul Goldschmidt, eighth round as well. Chris, thank you, man. You're the best. Enjoy your week. And uh, happy Mother's Day. And next year, you're the, the woman in your house will be a mother. That's, that's tremendous. Wishing her a very safe and healthy remainder of the pregnancy. Yes, thank you very much. Um, thanks for having me on. And once again, happy Mother's Day to everybody out there. Thank you so much. That's Chris Kampka at C. Kampka on Twitter, the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago. Um, as I mentioned, a big week for MLB because the players had a conversation on Friday. The executive board uh, of the MLB Players Association had a big conference call on Friday. Ken Rosenthal reports today, this morning, that tomorrow the commissioner will have a big conference call with the owners and suggest 
basically the framework for how baseball might come back. And if the owners approve that, then Tuesday could be the conversation between both sides when they start talking about the possibility of actually really doing this. Uh, you know, and we'll see. Guafi, um, but we will see if if we can get there. And if we do get there, this is the framework, if you have missed it, the framework that MLB is discussing. An 80-game season, maybe it's 78, maybe it's 82, with a regionalized schedule. The divisions would uh, still continue to be what they are right now. Teams would face opponents from their own division and the same geographic division in the opposite league. That's it. That's all they'd face over a 78-game season. Teams would open in as many home parks as is possible, and even New York is potential uh, to be open by early July. It's talking about a 78- or 80-game season that begins in early July, maybe around the 4th of July. And if clubs cannot play or train um, in their home parks then they might move to Florida or Arizona and may actually play regular season games in some of those parks. That's, that's hard to imagine. It's pretty, pretty darn inequitable um, in that way. But if they can't play, they can't play. And then the playoffs would indeed be expanded, as discussed by the New York Post in February, up to seven teams in each league. We'll see. We'll see how much further along we are by the time we get together next week on Inside the Clubhouse on Saturday and on Hit and Run on Sunday. Thanks to our guests today, Paul Sullivan, Scott Radinsky, Chris Kampka, and Jim Callis. Been a pleasure. Sean Anderson, great job producing as always. Bears Sundays next. Roll on. Bears Vikings from 2010 with Jeff Joniak offering a few words about his experiences and remembrances of the game first. Have a great week, everybody. Stay safe and stay sane out there. Thanks for listening. Hi, Mom. Hi, Eloy. Hi, Mom. This is for you. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get out of here. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.